welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tom Vera. Marler debates down south. We had a good one today. Yeah. It is all about Nick Saban. No, it's actually not. Nick Saban's in the title, but he has not a whole lot to do with this. Some, some to do with this, but not a whole lot. The question that we are tackling today, besides Nick Saban, who's the SEC's best head coach of the 21st century? An idea that I just came up with off the top of the noggin on a Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, whatever it was. But there are there are some things that we need to address before we even think about that question, an answer yeah. to that question. We are specifically talking about the 21st century. Therefore, anything, anything that happened in the 20th century, whether we're talking about Steve Spurrier winning a national title in 1996, or we're talking about Tommy Tuberville's first year at Auburn, which you remember all too well, I'm sure. What year was that? His first year at Auburn was 1999. That was a great year, first off, but go off. A historic year. Um, we are focusing specifically today on the 21st century. Right. And because everybody knows Nick Saban is the SEC's best coach of the 21st century, and we don't want to waste time or energy arguing that point, we said, who's number two? Who does number two work for? To <laughs> paraphrase from the great First, Austin do we Powers. All know, do we all know that Saban is the best coach from from the 21st century? That, that is like a thing that we all agree on, right? We all agree. Okay. We all agree. I'm just making sure. We need to if we don't. Okay. Nothing's ever I, unanimous, but that's that needs to be unanimous. I'm already hearing chirps from Baton Rouge saying that, that this year Ed Orgeron will surpass Nick Saban on the all-time wins list at LSU. Okay. Which is... And here's here's the other thing to keep in mind with this argument, because we're going to be digging into the resumes of five, of seven SEC coaches who have been you know successful in the, the 21st century. Five of them are no longer at their current program. There are only two yeah. active SEC head coaches who are on this list, and one of them, in my opinion, isn't even one of the top seven SEC coaches of the 21st century. So you ask... Why might this person, who is named Gus, Gus Malzahn, why is Gus Malzahn part of this group? Here's, here's what I think we need to, we need to evaluate, evaluate with this discussion. We're talking about value in terms of longevity, peak mm -hmm. success, championships, conference record, top 25 record, all those different things. But in my opinion, this argument needs to have, just as we talked about with a GOAT of SEC quarterbacks, two things that you just need to be able to have in order to be in this discussion for the, the coach that is right behind Nick Saban in the right. 21st century in the SEC. One of those things, five years in the SEC as a head coach. Simple, okay. right? That's that's only that's 25% of the time that we're talking about. Just be an SEC head coach for five years, that's it. And you have to have at least one conference title. Simple Ooh. enough. Simple enough. If you're going to be considered the number two coach just behind Saban, you should probably have won the conference at least once. So what that means... Or, and this will play in later, just before anyone gets upset, at least have gone to the SEC Championship game once. Just once. I, I say win it. I say win it. Either way. I'll even go there. Um, so who does that eliminate, you ask? Well, it eliminates Kirby Smart. It eliminates Dan Mullen, and this is the one that pains me the most. It eliminates Gene Chizik. Like, yeah, it's tough. So okay, Gene wasn't gonna win, love, but you know we love Chizik for sure. However, I and this is I understand the parameters that you decided on to make this, which is fine. 
the the uh, the Malzahn thing, him being on here at all, was one of the most triggering things I've ever read. It was, was only like, because he cleared that criteria right there. And that, right. I'm not saying I hear this loud and clear, fans of Florida, fans of Georgia, hear this loud and clear. I am not by any means saying that I would take Gus Malzahn over Kirby Smart. I right. wanted to look at those two things because if you don't set some sort of parameters, which I think those are perfectly fair, then you can dig into everything else. Kirby Smart obviously only has four years as a head coach in the SEC, and Dan Mullen only has zero conference championships. Right. So you set those parameters there because otherwise you can get to discussing everyone. Pretty soon right. you're going down a rabbit hole of why Houston Nutt was underrated, and and we're want, we're trying to keep this argument clean and focused. So those two things. Right. They have five years SEC head coach, and we're also not talking about stuff as a coordinator as well. This is just as a head coach in the SEC in the 21st century, and at least one conference title. Right. I need but, to get that out of the way. And I need to get this out of the way. To be very clear here, Dan Mullen is a better coach than Gus Malzahn. No doubt. No doubt in my yeah. mind. 100%. 100%. I will never, ever argue that. I have. I said even coming off this past year, there are not five guys in the country that yeah. I would rather start my program with than Dan Mullen. I right. firmly believe that. Okay. So... The list, the seven guys who do make that list and pass those two hurdles, that's all we're, all we're setting, just two two parameters, that's it. Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier, because yes, Spurrier won a conference championship at Florida in 2000. Mark just Rick. Just the skin of his teeth. Tom, so we got Rick, Tommy Tupperville, Les Miles, Ed O'Geron, Gus Malzahn. Five of those seven guys left on not-so-ideal terms. And I say left loosely because resigned, stepped down, fired, whatever the case may be, five of those seven guys left on not-so-great terms. And ironically, one of the two guys who did it is Gus Malzahn, who has been on the hot seat for the last ever? Eight years. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess that's a fair list. I just, just I don't... You're, you and your parameters really make this difficult gotta sometimes. Set because I got to set them. I, there's there's a like when I made the list it was Urban Les Miles Spurrier Mark Richt, Cocho Malzahn Mullen. Good list. It's a dog that's good list. list you, that's the list you sent me. The that text. is the original list that I that I set. But I was like, you know what? If you, if you don't set something, then you're going to be like, ah, oh, well, you know, I can really go down this road with this coach, right. and I can make a good claim for this guy because of where he elevated this specific coach. Win, win a conference championship a quarter of the time frame as an SEC head coach. Fair yeah. enough? That's fair. I mean, I just, um, and I don't I don't think I would have Orgeron at number two either way. His, his resume is, when you don't look at the Ole Miss part, is really good. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of tough. I just have a hard time thinking about, I thought about Tuberville initially. I did not think about Malzahn once. I wouldn't have made him part of that group initially either, but you know what? I'm gonna, tr I'm, the goal of all these debates is to try and strip down the biases. We wanna yep. say, we wanna look at, at stuff that, that is information that we've had in front of us. We have had 20 years worth of data to be able to evaluate this, not simply going off of how a specific coach left a program. Yes, that's part of it. It's not everything. And trying to figure out an answer to this question. As Spurrier often says, a decade with an SEC team is a long time. Yeah. How much How much do you value longevity? Do you value a coach who had a better peak than another coach? What do you specifically look at and say, yes, that is the makeup of a good coach, somebody that I am proud was representing our program for as long as he did? Right. That's okay. Right. 
Before we um, talk about all these different cases for and against all these fine coaches, Marler, our friends at Bet Online are busy. They're doing stuff with The Last Dance and everything now. They, they've had so many things going on. This weekend was fun. I don't know if you saw the picture we put up on Instagram. Had a little Sunday fun day post of, of the poker tables up, golf on in the background. If you if you did you watch the match yesterday? Of course I did. I watched probably three and a half hours of it. It's like two hours away from where I live, actually. It was fantastic TV. It and, was. and they had awesome. they had you covered from start to finish in terms of what should you be betting on, what can you bet on, uh, and they have that every single day at betonline.ag, whether there are golf matches or sports or not. So make sure you go to betonline.ag today. You can start an account. You can play poker. You can bet on Malaysian tennis. You can do a lot of things. May not always be approved by the fiance. Just saying, you should still do them. Go to betonline.ag today. The the match was. Very, very high quality entertainment. Awesome. I, I flipped it on right at the perfect time too. I think I flipped it on like the fourth or the fifth hole. So I had just seen everybody I was out running errands and doing a bunch of different things. I had just seen everybody ripping Tom Brady and then I flipped it on <laughs> and he makes that shot and you're like, Holy crap, this is That was ridiculous. Unreal. I think we had just tweeted uh something making fun of him. And then he he holds that and I was like, Wow, okay. Yep, he heard I, he definitely heard SDS for sure. Um, what people said at the time. Usually what, what we like to do for this category for Debates Down South is we like to, to find a bunch of old articles, find a bunch of different perspectives about uh, the given subject that we're talking about. Different format today. Instead, what we're going to do with those seven coaches, we're going to look at the case for them. We're going to look at the case against them. So Marler, even though Gus Malzahn was not the first name that you thought of, probably wouldn't have made the top 10, 15 names that you would have thought of, you're gonna get to, we're going to get to talk about the case against yeah. Gus Malzahn which, and Tommy Tuberville, which I think you will enjoy. But before we get to those guys, let's start with Urban Meyer. Because the case for Urban is very obvious. Yeah, He's got the, he's got the two rings, which nobody else on this list has. That's good. Pretty important in the grand no, scheme of things. One more person has it. No, having, no, you're right. Having two rings. The I'm two rings. Okay. That's, were you going to put less miles in that camp? Yep. Yeah, yep. I have it written we, down in my notes, too. We will get to less. We will definitely get to less. Um, Urban obviously coached a Heisman Trophy winner. 27-3 against the SEC East. Pretty good. Stupid. 5-1 against Georgia. Pretty good. He did something besides just have a really impressive run, which was he elevated Florida after Ron Zook took over the program. Ron Zook was the guy after the guy. Spurrier yeah. was the guy after the guy after the guy. Um, he was also unquestionably the conference's best coach for a solid three to four year stretch. Oh yeah, I think I think that's something that, as we talk about these other candidates, that's an important thing either for or against them. And it's kind of something that I think is important when you talk about Hall of Famers in a professional sport. Like, how often was were we talking about player X? as one of the five or 10 best players in their sport. Like how often right. were they finishing as a top three finalist for the MVP? For this argument today, I think, were there stretches in time during the 21st century where we legitimately considered this coach to be the best in the SEC? Urban, obviously, yeah. yes. So this one was tough for me just because, and I had to ask you several times, um, I don't know why, <laughs> I thought there'd be a separate an or a different answer, but it's hard to separate what Urban was able to do at other stops, especially Ohio State. Exactly. Because I, I thought for the longest time, I thought when he, if he went to Ohio State, he went to Notre Dame, but when he went to Ohio State, I was like, they will compete for national championships at a minimum of every other year. And they didn't somehow, but like his numbers at Ohio State are absurd. 
just you could absurd. you could make the case that he did. You could definitely make the case that he he at least competed for a conference for not just for a conference championship, but for national championships because they were. I mean, down to the end of November, they were always yeah. at least finding a way to still have a playoff life. But I agree that it wasn't at the level that we expected, especially not after 2014. But the good news is that helps him in the court of public opinion. For this argument today, nothing really matters when it comes to Ohio State stuff or Utah stuff with Urban Meyer. Right. That's fair. Um, and regardless, his numbers still at Ohio or at Florida are still good enough to be on this list. No doubt. It's, it, I mean, it, like, so when you look at his numbers, it's such a short period of time. And I know he left in not the best way, which is a lot of people have, are still upset about that, and that's fair. Um, but you look at his numbers, 65 and 15 overall at Florida. Uh, it's an 8-13 winning percentage. 12 of his, I'm sorry, 12 of his 17 years overall, he had 10-plus wins. He had three of the six at Florida. Um, also, was, he only lost more than three games in a season twice. Pretty impressive. Yeah. One of those it, was at Florida, though. Very, very impressive. The six years that he had in Gainesville are, I mean, if if there is a Saban before Saban, it was Urban at Florida, albeit right. for a different period of time. But that level of dominance was something that still to this day we talk about and we look back on it and we're like, yeah, he had his falling out. But the two national titles, Florida right. fans will take that all day, every day. The case against Urban is pretty obvious as well. He only had six years in the SEC. And I I do think that longevity, to a certain extent, matters just because the ability to survive in a high-pressure job Mm. is something that you want a great coach to be able to do. And there are coaches on this list like Mark Richt, like Les Miles, even Tommy Tuberville spent a decade at Auburn. And in high-pressure jobs, that's that's part of how we evaluate you. How do you handle the ebbs and flows of that, the peaks and valleys? How do you handle when people are throwing you under the bus or saying that you know you got to win this season or else you know you're going to be out of a job? Dealing with that on a yearly basis and getting through some of the bad times, Urban did not do, and that is definitely no. a knock against him. That's fair. I, I still think when you look at his his overall like time there, it's only six years. It's a very short amount of time, but. They were dominant a lot of those years. There's only one year where he, you know, they started out, I think, fourth uh, in 2010, his last year, and finished unranked. Um, but other than that, I mean, like having like 13, he had 13 wins in three separate years. It's pretty good. That's that stupid. Is, it's pretty good. Um, there, There is definitely another case against him, and that is, well, he only developed one quarterback, and he couldn't yeah. really hack it without him because, yes, Chris Leak, he definitely improved under Urban, but Chris Leak, to that point, was already a two-year starter in the SEC. Right. In terms of guys that he recruited and developed, the entire list is Tim Tebow, and that's yes. it. And if you're that's an offensive-minded it. head coach, Mark Richt has a better case in that argument from you know just from a number standpoint because you know he developed Matthew Stafford and DJ Shockley and David Green like all these you know obviously Aaron Murray as well yeah so if you're looking at it from that standpoint you're like well well crap I mean the guy only won with one quarterback and we talk about that a lot and with with college coaches of all right well that was a big thing with Dabo remember after mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson graduated it was all right. Can Dabo actually win with a different quarterback? And it was a question that after we were Taj kind of, Boyd too. We were, we were asking that after Taj Boyd. Taj Boyd was like the Aaron Murray of, of Clemson or the ACC. He was a four-year starter, had like incredible career numbers. But yeah, I mean, and then he got Trevor Lawrence. Let's not talk about Dabo today. It's only gonna make me upset. <laughs> 
Um, and then the other thing against Urban, of course, didn't leave the program on the best of terms, and he yeah. left because he couldn't keep up with Saban. I mean, he right. he beat Saban in 2008, which, yeah, I mean, that you get credit for that because Bama was still good in 2008, but 2009, everybody knows what happens, and then just like that, he was gone. And many, in 2010. Yes, 2010 Two, as well. 2008, Bama was ranked number one, but I, and I could have I said this from, you know, like going towards the end of the season, I was like, there's no way they're beating Florida. There's no way they beat Florida. Right. I think I got drunk the night before the game. I was like, we're beating Florida, but they did not. And I mean, because Florida was the best team in the country that year. You go to the following year, they lose 32 to 13 though to Bama, and then you go the following year after that, and I think it was like 31 to seven mm-hmm. in Tuscaloosa. So it was not not a great look after that. But he also beat them later at Ohio State, which we can't talk about. Can't talk about that. Again, in the court of public opinion, it helps. This argument, irrelevant. So there are definitely knocks against Urban and things that other coaches did better than him that you could definitely point at and say, all right, well, that's that's got to count for something. Right. Let's talk about the HBC, Spurrier. The case for him, he is the only guy on this list who was at two different SEC programs and had success there. Obviously, right. Coach O did not have success at Ole Miss but took both of those programs to an SEC championship, which you can't say enough about that and how difficult that is to do. Even if you just want to focus on 2000 and 2001 with Florida, before we even get into the South Carolina stuff, two top 10 finishes, he had a conference title, he was 20 and five in that two year stretch, and he beat Georgia by double digits twice. Again, Spurrier, even in those last two years before he left Florida, was still really, really good. Really good. yeah, I mean, it's. I didn't realize, first off, I didn't realize he was at South Carolina for, what, 12 years? He was at South Carolina technically for 11. You can call and it half. 10 and a half because he left in the middle of the 2015 season. Regardless, I didn't know he was there for that long. I mean, and the thing you have to remember about South Carolina is, and, and this would have been the case I think somebody would have made for Mullen as well, you can't overlook the fact that he took the, like each program to new heights. We talk yes. about it all the time with Duke. We talk about it all the time with like you know what he did with Florida and all that kind of stuff. Florida had never had a ten win season before him, ever. And then he comes in like I think they had what like seven or something like that, or maybe eight in the in the nineties alone. I think it might have been more actually. Regardless, he I mean he completely turned that program around, and made it a national power. South Carolina has had five ten win seasons in the history of their program. I say it all the time, five total ten win seasons in the history of their program. Three of those came in a row, and they were 11 wins apiece under uh, under Steve Spurrier. They had never had a top 10 finish before Spurrier arrived, and all he did was lead him to three consecutive three. top 10 finishes, three consecutive 11-win seasons. It's the best four-year stretch in program history from 2010 through 2013, and it's not even close. No. I mean, 42-11 and 11 during that stretch at South Carolina, 23 and nine against SEC competition. Guy averaged in his entire time in a decade plus at South Carolina, the guy averaged 8.2 wins. That's crazy. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And even, I mean, this isn't necessarily something that is going to be at the top of his resume or anything. I think it's super impressive that up until that last year, he was five and five against Georgia. Against Mark Rick. If you think about where those programs were when Rick was coming off that 2005 season and where Spurrier was at trying to build up South Carolina, what he inherited, and how impressive that is to kind of essentially split that rivalry for a decade. I mean, Georgia had all that talent. That is not an easy thing to do. And And they got him in years too, where like where Georgia was really good. It wasn't like it was like you know a down year for Georgia because they weren't allowed down years for Georgia when he was there. But like 2012. 
the year they go to the SEC championship game, they beat them 35 to seven. Yeah. Um, I think the 2006, no, it's 2007 game. Um, they, they, I forgot. It was like a, I was there. It was a 5:30 start. I did not remember most of the second half, but <laughs> I remember it was a huge upset. Spurrier at South Carolina. In addition to that, just an incredible recruiter as well, and that's something that South Carolina fans won't forget. Getting the likes of Jadavion Clowney, yeah. Marcus Lattimore, those guys on campus, so so important for being able to compete with teams like Georgia. The case against the HBC. He left South Carolina in disarray in the middle of the 2015 season, as many many South Carolina fans are still kind of bitter about, and, and I get it, because you feel like you have had this coach who had done nothing but elevate your program for a decade, yeah. and then he essentially, you know, for a year for a year there, it was like, well, he kind of let it go in terms of recruiting, and he ran out of gas, and he probably should have, he definitely should have left after the 2014 season, and instead he hung around a little bit too long. In the 21st century, he appeared in two SEC championships. I think that can go for him, and it can go against him in a way yeah. because it's like, well, he was he was a part of one SEC championship after the 2000 season. If we're talking about best coaches of the 21st century in the SEC, I guess that's part of it. And there's also the fact that in his entire time at South Carolina, and even if you include the two years at Florida, he only won 57% of his total SEC games. Here's another interesting thing that I didn't know. But I had to look back and go back individually because I didn't think that there was off the top of my head. And sure enough, this was true. In his entire time at South Carolina, 10 plus years, I guess 11 seasons, if you want to call it that, he never led a top 25 offense. Really? Isn't that crazy for as great of an offensive mind is, arguably one of the one of the best offensive minds in the history of college football, in 10 plus years at South Carolina, never did that, which I understand at South Carolina takes a little That's bit weird. of time. Mizzou in 2018 had a top 25 offense. Yeah, I mean, Derek Dew is a better coach than Sue Spurrier. That's why. Um, no, I'm kidding. But, like, well, there's also a lot that goes into that. And I don't think it really matters that much because, again, what he was able to do for that program is incredible. I'd say the knock on him more than anything is so he has the three years where they get 11, 11 wins in, uh, or more, or they have 11 wins. The recruiting thing is big. I, I don't ever remember hearing about Spurrier being a great recruiter. But he did have a crazy influx of talent in that state for like the three to five year stretch where they were dominant. Like Stefan Gilmore being like a, a four star top 100 guy. Um, I'm trying, the only one they, I remember them even losing was John Fulton, who was a four star that didn't really even pan out and he ended up going to Bama. But you talk about uh, Lattimore and, and Clowney. And, you know, we said, I've, I've said it like on one of the episodes a while back, South Carolina has produced two five stars, I think, in the past like three to four years total. Jordan Birch and, and Zach Pickens. Zach Pickens, yeah. Um, but outside of that, they only had six players that were a four-star or five-star total in the entire state to, uh, last last recruiting class, or two two recruiting classes ago with Zach Pickens. That was a very fortunate like timing uh, of, of those recruits coming through. Is it also weird, too, that, again, I, I think what Spurrier did at South Carolina was incredible. Never had a quarterback drafted. In his entire time at South Carolina, never had an all-ICC quarterback either. For as great of an offensive mind as he is, when we've seen yeah. guys like Mike Leach who have gone to Washington State yeah. and, had, and crank out top 10 passing offenses, and I realized that part of this could have been to the fact that South Carolina, from a defensive standpoint, was really, really good. And I don't want to yeah. say that Spurrier doesn't care about defense because obviously he recruited so many of those guys that were responsible for having such a great defense, but... 
that's not what we think of him as. And we tend to think of him as this, this guy who could, you know, put up a 50-burger on a given day. And at South Carolina, that wasn't necessarily their thing. It just wasn't. And that's okay. I mean, they, these teams were never as talented as Florida in the 90s. And that's not a knock on South Carolina. It's just that, like, and, and they had some, they had a lot of good offensive talent. I mean, McKinley, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, um, and there's, there's, there's been several. Uh, I think Jared Cook was there when he was there as well. Yeah, but, he was in, I, it just meant more that we did. Yeah, but regardless of that, I mean, like, they, they were still a really good football team. I, I, they were also going up against really good defenses week in and week out. Yes, so. true, true. Les Miles, the case for the Mad Hatter. He won as many SEC titles as anyone on this list, too. He won a national title, of course, and the year that he didn't, when many thought he should have, 2011, that was arguably the best SEC team not to win a national championship. And if you're arguing about that, 2004 Auburn fans, again, you need to be reminded, Les Miles, with that team, 8-0 against top 25 competition mm -hmm. before the national championship game, seven of those wins came by at least 13 points, and the one that didn't was 96 against Bama. The resume is unreal. It's ridiculous. That, that's, that 2011 team, they had eight wins against ranked opponents, and the average margin of victory was over 22 points per game. They you said 13. Them. Yeah, it was ridiculous. By, yeah, one, one of them by at least 13 games with right. the exception of the Bama game. That was crazy. It was crazy. Um, no, it, I think his is such a, a tale of two different parts of his career, the yeah. beginning and the end, obviously. It, it's kind of the opposite for Spurrier, because like, we talked about Spurrier having those, those three 11-win seasons. He's at South Carolina for basically 11 years. So outside of those three seasons, he only had over eight wins once. Mm. Um, the thing with Les Miles, the end of his career, like how, how it ended the last four to five years, I mean, it, it, that was one of the weirdest falls from grace you, you'd ever seen, because they were very dominant. They had great recruiting classes. Like, he had won at the highest level in this conference. And he finished up, like I say, like I was going to say it for the knock against him, but I'll just say it now. The last five years in a row that he was there, they finished ranked lower at the end of the season than where their preseason ranking was. That is a, a stat that the anti-Mark Rick crowd has pointed out many a time. Yeah. Many a time. And it, it, it is important in terms of how we think of these coaches are they rising above expectations or are they not? Right. Fair or not, that's kind of what you've built up. And coaches like Les Miles, they take on these big-time jobs and they ask for those types of opportunities, and therefore they're evaluated that way. Right. Les, to his credit, he was the guy after the guy, yeah. and he lasted 12 years. That, that in itself is an amazing thing to be able to do, and you wonder, okay, well... If it did look like you know things were dated at the end, how was he able to survive as long as he did? Fun fact, Les Miles, of all of these coaches on this list, had the best winning percentage against top 25 opponents. Yeah, that's a stat I couldn't find, Connor. And I, luck, lucky for know. you and anybody who's <laughs> listening to this, I'm gonna have more on that later because I went through and crunched every single coach's top 25 record by going through to all the things on football, yeah. stats reference, football reference, um, and, and finding all the individual seasons, AP Top 25 that we're talking about. But Les Miles, 42-23 and 23 against Crazy. ranked opponents. I always say if you have a winning record against ranked opponents, you're doing something right. That's, yeah. that's kind of like the, the cutoff line. If you, if you have a winning record against, against those teams, then chances are you are good at your job and you're not just getting lucky. You're not just getting by with a, an occasional marquee win or two. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so there's, there's the other thing. And this thing has it – well – we forget about it because of the losing streak. 
right? Mm-hmm. Most wins against Saban at Alabama of any active coach that's tied with Gus Malzahn. They each have right. three. They each have three. So we forget about that because obviously what he did later on. But there's that. There's stuff like, okay, seven top 15 seasons in the SEC. These are not easy things to do. No. And to do it for as long as Les did, he deserves a lot of credit for. I, right from, from like jump, he, was, he had 11 wins or more in his first three seasons apiece. Hester always talks about that, about the year one to year three progression with Les and how he comes into that situation and how difficult it was to take over for Saban. And by year three, they were all believing, like, this guy knows what he's doing. We're going to yeah. win a national championship. Doesn't know how to clap his hands, but he's, he's got That's hands. hard. That's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Um, the case against him. Many people are probably yelling at whatever device they're listening to, saying, how can you not bring these points up? The obvious is his style was clearly outdated. Mm-hmm. Clearly outdated, and a stubbornness was ultimately what got him fired, despite the fact that he paid Cam Cameron all that money for t- the 2013 oh. season. And, you know, it looks like for a very brief time, as we talked about with it just meant more in the game against Georgia, LSU's on the cutting edge. Look at all these different things that they're doing offensively. And pretty soon, LSU was right back doing what it always does, which is hand the ball off way too much, bunch of formations, yeah. and not being willing to stretch the field. Um it made people wonder why he held LSU back. And right. the fact that, okay, you had the coach before him, Nick Saban, win a national championship. The coach after him, at Ogeron, win a national championship in year three. Doesn't exactly hurt this belief, or doesn't exactly help this belief yeah. that Les Miles was the guy that was going to make LSU the program. And like it was all on him, and he's really what made them successful. Again, he deserves a lot of credit. But think about this, too. He finished at LSU with five, well, I guess four and a half, whatever you want to call it, seasons outside of the top 10. All four years in a row, lost to Bama. He missed a New Year's Six Bowl in his last three full seasons. And he inherited, I think, you could definitely make the case, he inherited more talent than anyone on this list. Oh, without a doubt. With, I mean, without, well, it's his first season. Yeah, I mean, ridiculously talented group that he had I mean, that first year. Goodness. He also was the first team to have two losses to win a championship outside of the ones that claimed it in 1941. Not going to say who that is, but regardless. <laughs> um, but no, it really is like I was honestly like shocked when I saw his stats. Yeah. Because I think what we all think and, you know, and quote unquote know about Les Miles is couldn't win the big game against Bama. Got, you know, like the end of his end of his like tenure there at LSU was really bad. He lost a lot of games he shouldn't have lost. And there were times where he did stuff that was so befuddling and confusing. It was like, what? What is he doing? What is he like? I, I brought this up before. I think the 2007 or maybe 2006 Auburn game in Death Valley, where they had six seconds on the clock, and he throws a pass like 20 yards into the end zone, and it's caught by Demetrius Bird with one second on the clock left, and they won. And they mm-hmm. said, Les, any any second guessing yourself on why you threw that pass? Because if it's if it's tipped, a second goes off the clock, they lose the game. And, and they were in field goal range. And he said, no, we just want to kick their ass. That's great for, I think, LSU fans especially would love to hear that. At the same time, he made so many mistakes. We were like, he was not that great of a coach. You look at his, his actual resume, seven of his first nine seasons, he had at least 10 wins. At least 10 in seven That's of his That's darn good. That's crazy. He had, he had 11 or more uh, in, excuse me here, in five of his first seven. If you I mean, t- Okay, so if you told Florida fans right now, 
like give them that that set that you just threw out there. You could say you're going to have double digit wins in seven of your first nine years there. You're going to yeah. win a national championship. If you told Florida fans this is what Dan Mullen's going to do, if you told Georgia fans this is what Kirby Smart's going to do, yeah, they would take that in a heartbeat. And then argue about who who won the better national championship too <laughs> immediately after. <laughs> Probably fair. Probably yeah. fair. Um, the only other, the only other knock that I could think of for for Les besides the obvious ones. How many times did we really say that Les Miles is the SEC's best head coach Never. after the after the 2007 season? Maybe because Urban had only won one title at that point. Uh, Saban was still coming off of year one at Bama. Spurrier still just getting going at South Carolina. That's maybe the only time, because then obviously you had Urban win a national, his second national title in 2008. Right. And he kind of takes that discussion away. And then when Urban leaves, Saban takes it over. So I think there's really only one time, like one year, one offseason, in which you, if you were doing your SEC coach power rankings, that Les Miles would have been number one. 2007? Yeah, after the yeah. 2007 season. That's about it. I mean, if, if you look at like just how much... That 2011 season really had them effed up. I don't know what happened after that, but it was like... You know, and and they, they had they still had a lot of talent coming in. They still had, you know... Zach Beckham and five, Landry. Yeah, and, oh, on the man. same field. Gosh. Mark Richt, the case for him... He had longevity unlike any coach on this list, and surviving 15 years at a high-pressure place like Georgia is not an easy thing to do, and I truly believe that you have to have the personality of somebody like Mark Rick in order to do that, and he deserves credit for it. That's part of the job. That is part of the job. If we're going to criticize Urban for it, we need to praise Rick for it. He had as many SEC titles as anyone on this list. Two is the magic number. He had the second-best SEC winning percentage of anyone on this list, 0.692. Very nice. You you were going to object to that real quick. No, no, no. Okay. Developed, as we said before, developed four all-SEC quarterbacks during his time um, at Georgia, which if you're an offensive-minded head coach, that's the goal. That's the best way to be able to recruit. That's the best way to be able to build a program. In year two, he wins Georgia's first conference title in 20 years. The parallels, obviously, between that and Kirby Smart that's in a big year deal. two. It's a big deal, and we we tend to overlook how important that that is because, well, he won it again in 2005. Kirby Smart won the SEC in 2017, so it doesn't look like that's a rarity for Georgia, but at the time, that still matters when you've gone two decades without a conference I, championship. Dude, I get on to, I get on to uh, LSU fans a lot about this because they'll talk about Saban and how, you know, or talk about how great the program is and this and that. And, and I feel like sometimes we forget that before Saban got there, they only had three winning seasons in the previous 11, right? Mm-hmm. Georgia fans, I, this was mind-blowing to watch the Rick thing. It was mind-blowing because he had, this is a guy, when you look, when you look at this, he had, they, he, they won the SEC championship game in year two, right? Year two, yep. So they finished in the top five. They hadn't finished in the top 10 in 18 of the previous 20 years. And he I did that from the jump. From the jump. I never understood why he got so much scrutiny. Well, there are there are a couple other things for him before we get to, to the things against him. Best winning percentage of any Georgia coach with five-plus years of experience. Obviously, Kirby Smart doesn't qualify for that, but a winning percentage of 7-4-0. Um, nine seasons of double-digit wins, seven top-ten finishes, and just the basic overriding question, how many guys that we've seen in the SEC – have been a better face of the program than Mark Richt? None. I, Saban's scowling all the time. I don't know, Coach O. <laughs> Coach O. Pretty. 
Um, I think I think that has to matter too. That yeah, has to, I would agree and that. that's not everything, but that's at least part of who you are and who you're trying to build as a head coach. And I it's weird how much that changed and became a. In the same way with Les Miles, the this, this stuff that we celebrated early on in their careers about what made them unique and fun and, and mm-hmm. what made them likable became their downfall. Like, he's too nice. What? Yep. <laughs> I've said that several times. You've said that about what I'd rather, you know, as much as I love that Mark Mark Rick goes to church on Sunday mornings. I'll stand by it. Yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll say it so you don't have to. I mean, like, like the, I said this the night before the Blackout game in 2008, and I was I, I meant it then, I meant it now, and this is not a knock on Mark Rick because he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I don't play on that football team, and I, he doesn't have to mold me into, thank God, because he'd be to blame, um, <laughs> into like the man I am today or any of that kind of stuff. But if if I'm pulling for my team, yeah, I, I like it's great that he they have like those every fall every fall camp they would have like a, a like he would show up and have a surprise like pool day, and he would go to church every Sunday. And I just I said it then, I'm I know when he was in church, Saban was probably watching tape and game planning. And that's that sounds harsh, but like I guarantee you, Kirby is doing it now. Before you get anyone gets mad, I guarantee you, Kirby's not going to church on Sundays. And if he is, he's probably on that iPad. I'm laughing because I just had a thought of you sitting down at a table, like a like a teachers' conference or something like that, with you, Mark Rick, and Patty Sue. And oh Patty God. Sue is just trying to explain, like they're both kind of doing like maybe a little bit of the good cop, bad cop yeah. thing, like Christopher. Chris, this is understand. how we're going to your life here. You can't say stuff like that. <laughs> Come on now. Mark Rick, very, very good coach. But yeah. there are obvious things working against him. The biggest one, can't win the big one. Um, a 5-10 and 10 record against Florida is a tough, tough look. As great of seasons as he was able to have, that is a tough pill to swallow. Couldn't win an SEC title in his final 10 years as an SEC head coach. Um, after 2005, when he wins the SEC... He only improved Georgia's preseason ranking three times. He finished unranked in four of his final seven seasons. And this is yeah. the kicker. This is the real tough thing that makes me understand kind of why Georgia fans, by, by the time 2015 rolled around, or maybe even before that, were ready to move on. They only had one BCS slash New Year's Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl appearance in those final 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah, they, I, they were in the uh, Outback Bowl a lot. Too much. Um, too much. Capital One Bowl, Outback see, Bowl. Would you? And again, like I said this back in the day, I didn't understand why people were so, so hard on him because the standard, like it wasn't like Georgia had set a standard for itself as a program. And and Georgia fans, you can get upset about this all you want. You hadn't set a standard for yourself as a program outside of 1980 when Herschel was there. This is what happened when the Herschel was there. 80, 80 through 80. I'll say 83. So the year after he left, they were. Let's see here. 22 and 2, 33 and 3, 43 and 4 in those four years, right? Finished in the top six all four years, finished in the top five and won a national championship. Um, they finished in the top five three times and won the national championship once. After that, you're talking about the next however many years in a row, they only made four bowl games in the next 11 years. I, I don't, I'm sorry, they only finished ranked four times in the next 11 years. And I don't understand, like, where, where this, they, they had a 10-win season in 92, they had a 10-win season in 97, but it was, it, I think a lot of this was, was kind of propelled by Georgia's greatness is always compared to what they do against Florida, or, or like a season, like yep. 97, they weren't that great of a football team, they went 10-3, and three, but they beat Florida in a year they shouldn't have beat Florida, and Florida was a very hot, like defending national champions, 
they should have beaten or they shouldn't have beaten Florida, and they did. And that's a huge win for them. And, and you know, there's a lot of Georgia fans that still remember that game, like in the rain down in Jacksonville. On the same side of that, when you look at Mark Richt and the years he wasn't able to win the big one, 2002 being one of them, mm-hmm. 2002, d- dude, I don't know how I don't know how Terrence Evers or I think that's his name dropped this pass. But they had a chance to beat a, a not a good Florida team. And if they do, they probably go to the national championship game. And they, they found a way to lose. And I didn't understand that. You talk about the rank the ranked teams. It was directed against ranked teams. His last eight seasons, he was 14 and 23 versus ranked teams. And he started off really good. Really, really good. good. If uh, this is something that just popped into my head too. If Mark Richt, if he was at Auburn, um, it's just put everything, same records, all those different things. The six win season that he had, was that 2010 that he um, had? Yes. Yeah. How did that happen? Okay. So if he had that six win season at Auburn, I mean, he's probably fired, right? No. If if he's at Auburn, he's a legend. They they would have retired. Like he, one, he would have found a way to make it to a national championship game because it's Auburn, and they would have done something stupid. But I I don't think he would have been fired. No. Okay. All right. I mean, they, was... they had like their expectations again. This 2008 season, when Florida was the best team in the country with Tebow coming back, I don't know why anyone did this to them. But you talk about a season where they come in ranked number one in the country with A.J. Green, Matt Stafford, Noshaw Moreno. There's nowhere to go but down <laughs> if you start at number one. And I think after that, it was just, oof. He had a lot of 10-win years, man. 2012, that'll always be the one that got away. If 2012 happens, Mark Brick still coaching, still coaching Georgia. because they, they 2007. They beat yeah. Notre Dame in the national championship. Just saying as we've brought up many a time, many a time. Tommy Tuberville, ya boy. Oh, God. The case for Tommy Tuberville. Oh, I'm excited to see how you react. I don't even have anything pulled up on him because I didn't think he was on this list. (laughs) He has the highest inherited to peak win improvement. What is that stat, you ask? It is the, the, the record of the season before a coach took over, and the peak is obviously the most wins that they ever had. So he took over... A three-win program, and during his time there, they obviously had the 2004 season in which they won 13 games. So he had the highest inherited to peak win improvement of any coach on this list, which matters, I think, to a certain extent. 2004 Auburn was one of the SEC's best teams overall of the 21st century. I I think you could definitely make the case with Mm -hmm. how good that defense was. Um, Finished in the top 15 in five of his final seven seasons. Not always the most consistent program Auburn has been over the course of time, but that's still a pretty good mark. And his only losing record in the SEC was that final year in 2008. He also had a winning record against the top 25. And now here is where I want you to tee off on, and I'll let you say whatever you want to say about Tommy Tuberville after I just get this this one last thing out. He went 7-3 and three against Bama. They Go. weren't any good. Like... And it was only seven and two, actually, in the twenty-first century. But go ahead. Which is, yeah, which is great. But like, and I think that's fair to say. I mean, yeah, he dominated Bama, like flat out dominated Bama. Got Saban um, hired. Sure. <laughs> I'm you talk about three. the years he beat him. Two thousand, Bama won three games that year. Two thousand three, Bama won four games that year. Like, there was how many? You know, in the in the span that he was there, you have Mike Dubose, you have Mike uh, Shula, you have Mike, what's his name? The Tiger. Yeah, Mike the Tiger, Dennis Pritchett. There were four coaching changes just from 1999 to 2008 alone at, at Alabama. So if we're gonna if we're gonna like try to say 
his career was great because he went seven and three against a average at best Alabama program, below average to be honest. That is, I, I don't understand why we would include that. Like it's it's great <laughs> for Auburn, it really is. But we, you just asked the question about if he had six wins against or at Auburn, would he have been fired that season? Uh, brother, Tommy Tuberville only had double digit wins twice, not just at Auburn in his entire. 21-year coaching career. He had it in 2004, and he had it in 2006. I don't... He had nine wins. That, that seems like a, a pretty decent standard, except like, by every other coach. He had nine wins. One, two, three. Okay, well, that's not a good example. But well, I say that just because it's like you have that bad season at Auburn, and then you get yeah. fired. That's that's just how it's gone. Oh, okay, so they're on the hot seat all the time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just... I think that he was, he was one of those guys where... He he won he won a lot of games and he he was always good for like a, an upset every year or two, but I, I don't think that he is even close to being in this in this group. All right, so like the case the against the case against him, it's much stronger than the case for him probably. Um, Jetgate, we'll just throw that out there. Uh, kind of uh, kind of symbolized how Auburn felt about him within the program. Yeah. Um, not really a good sign for a head coach if they're trying to fly privately to interview other coaches while you're still multiple there. Multiple times. Not the best look. Happened on multiple occasions. Um, he only had the one SEC title, and technically he didn't have a national title. Obviously, like 2004 no, doesn't count. he didn't have one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, because if I say zero national titles, yeah. the response from Auburn fans is, well, he should have won one in 2004. I, right. I, I get it. But technically for this argument, there is no national title there. Um, 2006 was the only other time besides 2004 that Auburn went into November with national championship hopes. And that was squashed with a blowout loss to Georgia in your favorite yep. rivalry ever. So That's right. Trey Battle. I, they win a national title in year two without him with our guy, Gene Chizik. Um, yeah, I don't – what are we talking about here? I mean, any – I mean, it, how, many, how many Auburn coaches is he better than in the last 30 years? How many have there been? He's Too not many. better than Pat Dye. He's not better than he's, – he's better than – I mean – Hell, ter- Terry Bowden went undefeated one year and also went like ten and one the following year, and then I, had his one bad year and was gone. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think now I, I get the joke now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like I, I just Bowden. I mean, Tuberville was never. He was never great. Like he he did a lot of things, but it was never stuff that was like, oh wow, he's one of the be-, like you said, he's one of the best coaches in the SEC. Two thousand four would have been the only time in which. You could have maybe considered him the best coach in the SEC just because you had Saban, you had Saban gone, you had uh, Spurrier still. Spurrier had just accepted the South Carolina job; it hadn't even started yet. Uh, Les Miles still coming over to the SEC. Kind of this weird transitional yeah. period for the SEC, and some might even say that had a that played a part in Auburn having the year that it did. Not taking anything away from that Auburn season, but. Would you have really said after the 2004 season that Tommy Tuberville is the best coach in the SEC? No. I don't know. Probably no. not. Probably Mark Richt had a, had a better case. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, let's stick with the theme of Auburn coaches. Uh, we'll go quickly through through Gus um, because so obviously nice. everybody knows the case for him. It's besides what? do they though? Because I don't know if I do. There's two things. It's taking a three-win team to a national championship berth, which 
you get credit for, even though we have said on this podcast many a time, and we have listened to Gene Chizik say these exact words to us, that that Auburn team in 2012 had much more talent than what the record showed. And yep. I, there's a case to be made for that, not taking anything away from what Gus did, because his offense was obviously needed, and they missed it during that 2012 season when he was at Arkansas State. But he also... Three and four against Bama while Saban's been there, and he's that's tied probably with, his best. That's like probably the best thing you'd want to like throw out from his resume. Exactly, that is the number one thing that he's tied with Les Miles for active SEC yeah. coaches in terms of wins against Saban while he was at Bama. Spurrier had three two. Yes, but yeah, in terms of the the active the active head coaches, yeah. he's he's the one that's that's still going with that. So that's that's about it though, because I was like kind of grasping for straws. Yeah. I, seven, I was seven shocked, but I... Oof. Seven consecutive winning season uh, overall, which, all right, like, good. That doesn't make you the number two SEC coach of the 21st century, but I, I don't know. This, he don't say, don't get all hesitant about saying it. You're the one that put him on here because of your damn parameters, Connor. I, I did. He, he covered <laughs> the parameters, and I wanted to make sure that we, we at least, because you know what? We overlook things sometimes. So maybe there's something with Gus... That I was somehow overlooking. Now that was nineteen and twenty-one versus ranked teams, eight and fourteen versus top ten teams. Nineteen and twenty-three against ranked teams. I had nineteen twenty-three. Nineteen twenty-three against ranked teams. I had. Oh. Yeah. Um. Hold on. Let me see. Make sure I have this up pulled up still. Because the one that was least impressive was his record against the SEC in his seven years. Mm-hmm. Is damn it. Where'd it go? I got it. Thirty-four and twenty-four. 33 and 23, I have. Oh, thanks a lot, Mike Bratton. I got it from his website, so. All right. Uh, so, obviously, the case for Gus against him is is much more lopsided than the, than the one for him. But there, there's also the whole, like, oh, he's never had consecutive top 15 seasons. He's been on the hot seat more times than not during his time at Auburn. Dude, they finished ranked in the top 10 twice. During his seven years, yeah. Yeah. So, um, zero road wins at Alabama, Georgia, or LSU also. Jeremy Johnson. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that too. All right, Coach O. The case for Coach O, he just produced arguably the best team in college football history. Um, He is one of three guys on this list with a 21st century national championship. Some of my favorite stats about Coach O. He is 17-6 against top 25 teams dating back to when he started as the interim coach in 2016. Really, really good. Yeah. He's 11-1 against top 10 teams in the last two seasons against the likes of Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and Auburn. In that stretch, the last two years, he is 6-2. He has consecutive New Year's Six Bowl victories. That is only Urban and Les Miles on this list can say that. Um, And we've talked about it before a lot, so no need to go in-depth with this very much. But the Joe Brady slash Joe Burrow decision, both of those moves from a personnel standpoint, yes, he's not not an X's and O's guy per se, but the faith that, that Coach O put in those two specific guys and the heights that they were able to lead him to, yes, he absolutely deserves credit for that. He is, in my opinion, a top-five coach nationally right now. Yeah. And he is the only guy on this list who is still in favorable standing, but we can't project. And we're not saying that we can't automatically assume that he's going to win a bunch more SEC championships or something like that. Maybe the argument's different in five years. But for now, that is the argument for him. Yeah, honestly, there's not it's there's not that bad of a argument. Like you, you, you would look at his, it seems like it'd be recency bias, or maybe we are just putting too much stock into what happened last season. But there's there's honestly a decent argument for it. 
It's not and, terrible. It's not terrible. No, I mean, his last two years at LSU are, are you know, alone. That, that should put him up there. But, like, 40-9 and nine while at LSU, it's, it sucks that you have to look at those two years at Ole Miss and include them in, in the overall numbers because it's so yeah. night and day. Three, yeah, well, either way. It's just it's so night and day. But that's that's the thing that that holds him back. If you're going to make a case, if you're going to make a case for him, you have to talk about the old Miss stuff in this argument just because it happened and it was three yeah. years and he's been an SEC head coach for six total years, not including the interim stuff. And half of that time was at Ole Miss where he didn't even sniff a bowl game. He went 0-12 against ranked teams. It was a disaster. And there are yeah. still, for whatever reason, people who think that he hasn't overcome that. Yes, he has overcome that without a doubt. There is no doubt in my mind that he has been able to move past that chapter of his life. He is an elite coach in college football right now. But in terms of how we're talking about SEC coaches in the 21st century, that has to at least be part of this. Because no other coach on this list had two consecutive bowl list years. And he had three. And yeah, I know Ole Miss is not taking over at Ole Miss. It's not the same thing as taking over at LSU. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but we're we're comparing him to some very very good coaches who have won a whole lot of games. And it's amazing that he's actually been able to get up to respectability in terms of record against the SEC and overall record. But he's still the worst in those two categories. That's what happens when you start off three and twenty one against SEC competition in three right. years at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I, I still say there's there's more of a case for him. Uh, to be honest, than than obviously than Malzahn, obviously and Tuberville, than, yep, and Mullen and Tuberville, um, that's probably it. But I mean, he he accomplished more than Rick, but I would have Rick on there ahead of him because of the longevity of Rick's career and what he was able to do so consistently. Yeah, there is Kojo belongs on this list, and there's there's no doubt about it for me. Um, the worst, speaking of Kojo, the worst take that you can have about this debate. Um, I actually think the, the the recency bias is the worst take. Of, That's well, right. it has it has to be Coach O because of what he just did, right? And because he had that season, which I'm not going to argue against it as the the best season in the history of college football. That no, I'm I'm not going to to sit here and and debate that. But we're talking about a 20 year time frame, and yeah. we're not projecting. If we're talking about this in 2025, and Coach O has won another ring, maybe he's won the SEC a few more times, he's beaten Saban a few more times, it changes the discussion. But we have the data that's in front of us. He's also not the first coach to beat Saban en route to a national title, which, I mean, as great as that year was, as 2019 was, he's not the first coach necessarily to do just that, and that was his first victory against Saban, of course. So, I mean, everyone on this list has at least one win against Saban while he was at Alabama, which is something else to consider. Right. just, just part of it. That's the benchmark. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the, the other caveat. Based off that. <laughs> Mullen hasn't done that, neither is Kirby. So yep. there we go. Um, the thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this. Uh, this was a stat that I hinted at earlier. Um, Les Miles having a better record against top 25 teams than Urban Meyer. That, that amazes me. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, Les Miles, his entire career, I feel bad because I just like, oh, Les isn't that great. Les had an outstanding record at LSU, especially those first however many years in a row. It was, I mean, goodness. 42 and 23 against ranked foes is tough. It is a tough thing. If Coach O is able to do that, and he is well on his way, like I said, he is 17 and 6 against ranked opponents dating back to his time as the interim coach. If he's sitting there at 42 and 23, LSU is going to be in good shape. There are going to be yeah. a lot of very happy LSU fans because that is – that it's it's phenomenal, and I think though we forget about this stuff or a stat like that because 
Going into that last year, Urban Meyer was 18 and six against ranked opponents. He went 0 and four against the top 25 in the 2010 season, where it all sort of fell apart for him at Florida. Right. And if you just take that number, then well, you know, he's clearly number one on this category. And we tend to look at that that 2010 season as almost like a like a lost year in a way, right? Right? Like we don't maybe we don't hold Urban as accountable for that year as we should, even though they start off number four in the country. I know they lost yeah. Tebow. But they still had a lot of talent on that team. Well, they didn't have nearly as much talent as, as that ranking would have suggested. I will say that. Um, it is. I, I'm, I was just going through the the his record against ranked opponents, and it's it's really impressive up until that season, yeah. and it all goes to blank after that season. But I mean, I I still think that. Like I wish I would have I've figured out because because they're so they're all playing each other they're all coaching against each other which is mm-hmm. another thing that I think has to be factored in, and it's easy to look at like Rick's career and say well he's not as good as Urban because Urban beat him so many times. Um, the one thing I'll say about Urban is actually I'll save it. Go ahead. Well, I was also gonna say, okay, so if you're talking about the head-to-head stuff, and I, I do think that 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 is it's part of it. It's worth discussing. Like I can't sit here and say that Mark Richt is better than this Florida coach, that Florida coach, because obviously he struggled against Urban. Like, there's yeah. that's no secret. That's just, that's a fact. If you're looking at from, okay, so from 2005 to 2010, that stretch of Florida LSU matchups, you want to take a guess what the, the overall result was? Less versus Urban. 2005, 2007? 2005, 2005 Three through less? 2005 through 2010. So that's six oh. total matchups. Um, probably, I guess, probably three and three or That's correct. That is correct. Yeah. So not a clear advantage in terms of one one program or the other, but, um, yeah, I mean, and the other thing that I I probably should have put this earlier with Miles that I, I forgot to bring up, but... You talk about how it kind of fell apart after 2011, right? They, yeah. they had their shot. It was right there. And it looked like they just couldn't quite get that mojo back after that season. They went 9-9 nine and nine in November from November on. That was starting in 2012 through 2015. Right. So obviously he didn't coach in November of 2016. But that's a four-year stretch. It went to the end of the year. Les Miles was, I mean, a, a little notch above Kevin Sumlin. And I understand the Bama game yeah. is part of that too, but they have a week off for the Bama game. Yeah, and 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 most of these other coaches also had to had to coach against um, against Bama. This is true. This is true. All right, let's get to where we stand on this. I think I know where you're leaning, but who is your second to Saban best SEC coach of the 21st century? It's Urban Meyer, and I don't. I know the parameters you laid out there. I get okay. it, but. What he he's it's a very short window of time, and part of this is because we didn't have to see him have a fall from grace. I don't think he would have had a fall from grace if he stayed at Florida. I think he still had kind of had a fall from grace. Sure, twenty ten was messy. Twenty ten was messy, but they had they had a season not that dissimilar to that in two thousand seven, when Tebow won the Heisman, and it, they didn't have Tebow obviously. But I mean, like you, you talk about him having they went eight and five in two thousand seven. They went nine and four. I mean, they they lost they lost and they started out that season. I think in the top, let's see here, they ranked they were ranked third at one point in the season. Um, that 2010 team was just never that good. And and you also think about this too, 2010 as well as 2000 and uh, I'm trying to think here the years he didn't win it 2009 and 2007, 
2007, he gets a Heisman Trophy. 2009, he runs into... Like, that 2008-2009 year, it was one versus two both years in a row. Mm -hmm. And the SEC, SEC champion won the national championship. Yep. So he lost, the, basically, like, the semifinal, the de facto playing game, in 2009. And then 2010, nobody was beating Auburn anyway. Like, the years he didn't win, another SEC team won. And I, and I know this is the same for all of them. But, like, there was no other coach, in my opinion, that was as close as he was to getting another title. Because they would have won that title in 2009 if they would have beat Bama. They were undefeated. So you're saying, okay, because I, I would make the case that, that less in 2000, because less in 2007, I mean, that was, LSU lost two games that year, as we know. Mm -hmm. And Florida went on the road. We did that game for, it just meant more. That was the second game that we did for that series. And, I mean, they were there. They were there. And if LSU doesn't convert one of those fourth downs, maybe, or something like that, or if, right. if, if Hester isn't made of steel, something like that happens, yeah. then then who knows? And maybe it does change you know, the course of, of Florida season. But yeah, I, I think that that's a good case to, to be made. And you could definitely say that, look, this guy was on the brink of three titles and a four-year stretch that could have included three national titles and a Heisman winner. Yeah, which that's crazy. Been, that, that is ridiculously good. Very, if you very take a good. step back and you really look at the rest of his resume, which we're not doing in this argument, it's not even close. Yeah, yeah. It, from from that perspective, if you're talking about just best overall coach, the only the only guy who is even in that argument for best overall coach is Spurrier. And, and Spurrier, to me, yeah. if you if you're going to look at the 1990 stuff, it's a little bit harder to to dissect that just because he was so on the cutting edge with what he yeah. was doing, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. But just for the the 21st century argument, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with the urban thing. And I think if you ask the average fan, look. Whose career would you take? If you're an athletic director and you know how these careers are going to play out, who would you sign up for? Would you sign up for 15 years of Mark right. knowing that it's not going to get you a national championship? Would you sign up for a decade plus of less miles knowing that it's going to have a really rough ending for those final four years or so? Right. And it's going to be a little bit of a grind to get it back to the level that you want it at. You would probably still take Urban's career. Now, Instead of just looking at that question, I overcomplicated this for myself, as always, and I came up with, just as I do for the playoff rankings, six deciding factors to judge God. these seven coaches by. And I have them here in the doc, so you shouldn't be saying that. This shouldn't be a surprise for you. It's already laid out there. And I wanted to strip all the biases down, and I wanted to even take that question away and not just try and look at it from a lazy perspective. And, right. I, came up, and I came up with six things that I judged these coaches by. Overall win-loss. SEC win-loss, win percentage against top 25 teams, because that you can't just do total wins against right. top 25 teams. Uh, SEC titles, so that is a cumulative stat. Uh, national titles, another cumulative stat. And then the aforementioned inherited-to-peak win improvement. Right. The season before you took over, and how many wins was your best overall season for your, you know that specific coach. So I broke down those six things with a point scale. If you came in first place in one of those one of those categories, you got seven points. And if you came in last place, then you only got one point for that specific category. Okay. So I did all the math for this. I, I broke down everything. I mean, win percentage against top 25 teams, uh, all of it. All of it is, is in there. Happy Memorial Day, guys. Happy Memorial Day. This is what I spent my entire weekend doing. I woke up at 6.45 on Memorial Day to be able to, to, be able to crank out all of this stuff. But what did I find? So what did, what did those numbers spit out to me? The results. Urban Meyer is in for, first place with 37.5 okay. points. Les Miles in a not-so-distant second place at 30.5 points. 
it's somewhat distant. Mark Richt, third place, 26 points. Tommy Tuberville in fourth with 25 points. Gus Malzahn in fifth with 18 points. Cocho in sixth with 16.5 points. And Spurrier is in last with 14.5 points. Now, that is not a perfect system. I think it's a good no. system to decide the winner. If I'm ranking, if I'm just ranking one through seven, I'm obviously not basing it on that because there's yeah. no way that I am looking at what Steve Spurrier did for a decade plus at South Carolina and even those two seasons at Florida and saying that, yeah, that guy was definitely not as good as Gus Malzahn or Tommy Tuberville. Right. No way. I'm putting Spurrier ahead of him. But I wanted to look at that just to say, okay, am I putting too much emphasis on the rings? Is there other other things that I am Fair. just overlooking too much and I should be breaking down this in a, in a, in a more unbiased way? And Urban's still the guy. He's still yeah. the guy. And I, I come back Wait, you, to that. You said Urban too? Yeah, I said Urban Damn too. I'm going to pick Spurrier then. I think there is a case to be made for Spurrier, despite the fact that I just said he's in last for the category that I brought up, just because of the, the whole bringing two different programs to an SEC championship game. Right. Such a difficult thing to do. Obviously, not everybody on this list even had that opportunity, but... He's the only guy on this list who you are talking about in a non-traditional power, a, a place that has not had success, that he is, like, no questions asked, the number one best coach in the history of that program. Right. You could make a case that none of these other guys, including Urban, because of Spurrier, ironically enough, yeah. is not the best coach in the history of their program. And there are people who are going to say Urban winning two national titles as opposed to Spurrier's one is going to be the thing that really is the big separator for that. Right. But my point is Spurrier is unanimously the best coach in South Carolina football history. Without like, a doubt. Not even close. And to get him yep. to that level, that, that matters. If I'm ranking this, I'm probably putting Spurrier at, like, number two. I, I think I, so if, I, if I was doing rankings. I, honestly, it's hard. I'm fine with either. Like, I, I'm fine with either ranking and having Spurrier up there because, like, he, it, it's, it just depends on what you want to go for. He never – he made it to only one SEC championship game. He only had – he never won the SEC championship game at South Carolina. Didn't – he had only won at Florida, um, it, like, in this time frame. I just – what I have a hard time with is, like, the – there's – Three eleven one seasons are awesome, and bringing like South Carolina to national prominence is awesome. Not being able to have more success and over over eight wins consistently—that's what I would I would have, that would be the knock for me. And it's a and fair a short. It's a short time frame of what Urban did, but like he did it so well, and they were so dominant in that time frame. And it's right when the start of you know right with the start of when the SEC started to become the dominant pro, or conference in the entire country. It is and. That data is not based on, like I said, it's not based on anything that Urban did outside of that time frame. And that's that's the tough thing to try and right. compartmentalize is that you're not looking at anything else with Spurrier in the 90s. And you're, you, but at the same time, as much as that, you know, that, that kind of hurts their case a little bit and it still allows somebody like Urban to rise above it. I mean, we are still looking at what Coach O did at Ole Miss because it happened mm -hmm. in the SEC, but we're not looking at what Les Miles did at Oklahoma State because right. it didn't happen in the SEC. So it's a tricky it's a tricky question. I came away from this with a little bit more respect for Les Miles. Way more respect for Les Miles. Yes. Um, and I think Correct that yourself. <laughs> significantly more respect for Les Miles. Yeah. Maybe a tiny, a tiny... A tiny bit more. Don't hate me for saying this. A tiny bit more respect for Tommy Tuberville. How? Just a little tiny bit. I don't bit. Under, Like, this makes no sense that you, like, I, 
based off of what that we went over? The fi- the having in his final seven seasons having five wins or five seasons of uh, top fifteen finishes. I think is still somewhat commendable. Now I'm not saying that he belongs. There there are other coaches where if I was just doing a Almost random top ten on ranking, this list. if I was doing a random top ten ranking, he's probably not going to make it. Probably not. But you know what? But based on your parameters and the and the and the algorithm that you came up with, yes. then he yeah that's you know that's it's amazing what you talked yourself into today. Here's the thing. This could actually uh, change if we talk about this after 2021. Mm-hmm. Kirby, Kirby Smart will automatically qualify for this because this is year five for him at Georgia. Right. Dan Mullen, if he wins the SEC, would qualify for this as well this is to amazing. be considered the best non-saving coach of the SEC of the 21st century. I didn't. Okay. I. I honestly, I didn't want to include those two guys for those two reasons because of how big of a knock it is against them. And I think the sample size with Kirby is still so small compared yeah. to those other guys. It's tough. It's so tough. Like it'd be, it'd be like chopping off Urban after you know 2008 and being like, all right, let's let's judge him based on on the same criteria that we judge Mark Richt. Right. Like, it's it's not it's not the easiest thing to do. So there'll be a time and a place in which Kirby and Mullen will be part of this conversation. Maybe we'll we'll do like SEC coach rankings or something like that going into the season. We can get really, really mad and have everybody get really mad at us. Yeah. That'd be fun. That's what, we haven't done that in a, in a while, so I'd love to get Georgia and Florida fans mad at us again. There's a reason we don't do that. Is it? What's that? Because it gets everyone mad and nothing nothing gets accomplished. It's very, it, it hurts feelings and it's not good. All right, hopefully um, nobody threw their phone in disgust when I brought up the name Tommy Tuberville. Um, we will have, I don't know what we're doing for It Just Meant More this week, and we have a few things. Probably a Tommy Tuberville game, I guess. I mean, jeez, celebrate Let's... the whole man's, his entire catalog. <laughs> we'll just have Tommy Tuberville come on here and talk politics. You yeah. don't want that? Oh my That'd God, least favorite tweet of all time. <laughs> Uh, so we're still working through what we're going to do for that. We have a few things potentially in the works for Casual Friday as well. Uh, thank you for all the feedback on the Jordan Rogers interview yeah, that, that was we cool. did. Great to hear back. Hopefully everybody got a new perspective of J-Raj and JoJo. JoJo was great as well. So uh, Marler and, of course, nobody other than Tommy Tuberville and Coach O, if we want. Uh, what do we need to remember? I don't think anybody wants that. He jumped me a ball. Fucking